welcome you into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopto, C70 at the bat at C70 on Twitter. With me is always Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. Twitter. We typically run our seasons of this show to the new season starts around spring training. So if this is the season finale of Gateway to Baseball Heaven, boy, have we got some stuff. <laughs> You know, it's like Mo knew, and he said, here, let's just pack it in for this last show. Um, Tara, it, it's like, I, I said this on, on Mutual this weekend, it's like the person that waits all semester to do their homework and then turns it in at the last second and still gets an A on it. This weekend was kind of crazy for the Cardinals. Yeah, except the actual grade isn't back yet, right? We still don't know for sure what the final details are going to be of the potential Nolan Arenado contract. But yes, wow, what a way to kind of wake a sleeping giant, perhaps, as far as the St. Louis Cardinals are concerned, and finally go out and get their guy. Look, we've known for a while that of the possible sort of big name guys, big name players, Arenado was always their guy. He was always the one that the Cardinals wanted. They didn't really want Stanton or Harper or Machado in the same way mm-hmm. as they wanted Nolan Arenado. And we always kind of felt like they had said that and then at the same time kind of boxed themselves in with like things like the the Matt Carpenter deal and with having not just one, but multiple third base prospects that eventually they're going to say, well, we really need to give them time to see what they can do. Like they've done (laughs) with the outfielders for the last uh, 75 years for all I know. (laughs) So it just seemed like one of those things that was like, well, it's cool that you keep saying this, but you, you know that you have to stop building a a box around this impossibility if you're going to actually make it happen. And somehow it seems they have found a way to get their guy. Anyway, like I said, the details are still unfinalized. I was just reading a tweet from uh, John Heyman that says it's a bit complicated as far as the money dispersal (laughs) is uh, concerned who's paying what and how they're getting to the end of that contract without the Cardinals, of course, overpaying like they they so strongly don't like to do. But Nolan Arenado should be a St. Louis Cardinal, all things being equal. And it's still a little bizarre to say that out loud. Yeah, Tara, you and I were talking before the, the show. It's almost a little bit like you don't want to say he is a cardinal Mm -hmm. you don't want to say you don't want to jinx this thing if something comes up but you know from all the reporting that we've seen and again we don't know exactly how this is all going to shake out but cardinals aren't losing a significant prospect the biggest name they're losing is austin gomber which is i mean that's let's let's be fair i mean austin gomber had a chance to be Probably a possible, I don't know about significant contributor to 2021 Cardinals, but maybe depending mm-hmm. on how things yeah. went. I mean, um, not that he was the key to anything, but he could have been a valuable piece for the Cardinals this year. And hopefully he will be for the Rockies. Um, and then a lot of prospects that are not Nolan Gorman or Matthew Libertor or Zach Thompson or any of those top five or so that the Cardinals have. Um, plus surprising to me, none of the outfielders went either. I mean, you know, I thought, okay, well, maybe they take Dexter Fowler to make the money work, or, you know, maybe they take Tyler O'Neill because 
Tyler O'Neill hitting home runs in Coors Field would be like kind of insane. Um, instead, I mean, not only does Mo not give up any significant talent, he gets the Rockies to pay him fifty million dollars <laughs> for the for the. I, I just. I mean, I don't know if Mo has to like, it's like some of these video games where the guys have to build up till they hit the, like their meter and then boom, they can do their special move. Like maybe that's why Mo had to sit out for the last two or three years. So he could get this kind of deal done. It's, it's just crazy when you see, I'm just not used to the Cardinals. Well, maybe I am. I take that back. Um, being on this where the where people are saying this is a total heist and you know what it's amazing what the Cardinals have done. But then again, I guess maybe this is throwback to the old, you know, especially Walt Jockety years. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the most bizarre trades that I certainly remember, which doesn't mean a whole lot because I don't remember a lot of details of a lot of <laughs> trades and my, uh, you know, repertoire only goes so far back. So I'm sure there are some other crazy stories that maybe would rival this, but it definitely seems like one of the most complex agreements mm-hmm. as you, you know, they keep discussing the pieces as far as deferred money and adding a year because he gave up the no trade clause, but then he gets of no trade clause and he still has an opt out and gets an extra opt out. And there's, it's just, it, there's so many pieces to this that it's gotta be one of the most complicated contract situations as far as a trade is concerned. And yeah, to see that the Cardinals are getting Nolan Arenado and a bunch of money back to cover some of the cost of Nolan Arenado um, without losing some of that future talent that is so precious in the Cardinal system, it's a little bit mind boggling. And yeah, I would love to have a perhaps off the record conversation with the Rockies front office folks who decided, yeah, this is what we need to do to get back on track because, you know, I think it's, there's, there's certainly a difference in trades between two teams that are, are both trying to get better, right? Where it's like, you have a piece that we need, we have a piece that you need, let's swap, right? We don't see that as much anymore as we see Mm -hmm. trades where one team is really trying to shed payroll, right? That's the unfortunate reality of the the businessy nature of baseball right now. So I get that. I understand that part of it. But boy, would I love to have been a fly on the wall when all of these pieces were coming together. And what we keep seeing is that these two sides are determined to make it work, which is interesting terminology when you're talking about a trade that seems significantly one-sided in favor of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, now I will say I read somebody and I can't remember where one reporter that said, you know, because the main point that's been out there is that the Rockies are giving $50 million to the Cardinals to help pay for this. And what I have read is like there's $50 million worth of contract help. And part of that may be the deferrals that Arnando is is putting out there. And then some of it is cash coming from the Rockies. So maybe it's not quite as bad, but it's still not good. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I really don't know. I don't get, because I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're, if you're getting just salary relief, I understand. But if you're helping fray some of the cost, you'd think that there's more talent coming back. Um, it's just, as somebody, one, I think it was a Rockies Twitter, a Rockies reporter put out, they weren't afraid that Nolan, Nolan would walk. They were afraid he wouldn't. And they'd be on the hook for all that money. I, that's the only thing I can get. But boy, I, 
I think that's a real gamble because I think that situation had gotten so bad he was going to walk even if it cost him money yeah. um, to get out of out of the out of Colorado. Yeah, it was not great there. It was very publicly not great there, and I think. There's no one more excited about the trade, likely, than Nolan Arenado and just the new situation he's going to find himself in. Or perhaps Adam Wainwright, which we can talk about <laughs> in just a minute, because yeah. that's like the the footnote to the news of the weekend, uh, yeah. which started out as the headline. But I love that you you cannot convince me that Adam Wainwright did not know the Arenado move was coming and that it was mm-hmm. coming quickly based on his comments in his own press conference announcing that he was back with the Cardinals. And I know you and I discussed this in, I think, Twitter DMs when the Adam Wainwright stuff was going on. And I told you my theory is that Adam Wainwright told the Cardinals that he would sign with them for less money if they re-sign Yadier Molina and go out and get another piece to help them win, whether that's Arenado or not, because it all happened so quickly, right? It was like Adam mm-hmm. Wainwright signs. Also, they're expected to sign Yadier Molina. Oh, by the way, the Arenado rumors are back in full force. You cannot convince me that Adam Wainwright's, there's some other good stuff coming that people are going to be pretty happy about in his press conference, was not a direct comment oh, yeah. in yeah. regards to Nolan Arenado and the deal that was a, about to be announced there, or at least uh, about to be confirmed uh, as far as the the progress being made towards that. So even Adam Wainwright, <laughs> not the headline for this, this weekend, but I think he was as excited as anyone about that happening. Yeah. And you wonder, I don't think payroll is to the point where this would matter, but you wonder if some of that was also, okay, we're going to kind of, here, Adam, this is our placeholder number until we can get this figured out. And then maybe we can finalize what we can actually pay you. I, I don't think it quite got to that. Um, but I do think you're right. I think that there's there was some discussion there because, you know, Adam Wainwright talked a lot. I mean, there's no doubt he's loyal to St. Louis and he would have wanted to be there. But if, if teams like San Diego are asking for him yeah. and a team like San Diego that looks very much like a world series champion or a contender. Um, And then you have the Cardinals who had done absolutely nothing to that point that maybe they would win the NL central. Maybe they wouldn't Um, in a week in NL central. They probably weren't going any farther. Boy, it would have been very difficult. I think for him to turn that down without getting some sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge that something else was going to happen. And, you know, we saw Jason Stark put out a tweet earlier in the Friday buzz of everything that was going crazy that day, um, where it said that players had been talking about this for quite yeah. a bit. The Cardinals players had been. Um, that kind of made me, I don't know. I don't know. It, I, it seems very unlike the Cardinals to kind of, you know, let any of this slip out, <laughs> even to the players. Um but maybe they felt like they needed to and say, look, we do have a plan for this off season. Don't, you know, don't go panicking. I mean, that may have been mostly directed to Jack Flaherty Um, because, you know, we know Jack, he's uh, very focused on what's going on. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel a little bit bad that all I have done in the couple of podcasts I have done since the off season began was talk about what a nightmare the Cardinals' inactivity had created for the fan base and for the organization. 
-hmm. the fact that the entire NL Central had apparently just thrown their hands up and said, no, thanks. We don't want to play. It was, and Alex said it on our podcast this week too, it, it was getting embarrassing to imagine the NL Central as an entire division that just decided to not try. And I'm not sure how those sorts of things come across to the players, but I have to imagine they saw it happening too, right? They saw other teams getting better. They saw other teams spending money. And while, yes, it seems like most teams in baseball have been a little bit more careful this winter because of COVID and and the uncertainty about this coming season and the lack of games in the last season, which means lack of revenue, etc. So yeah, that's happening everywhere. But our good buddy Matt Whitener put out a tweet last week showing the disparity between payroll and, and I mean, payroll. I think it was just how much money uh, is allocated for each team so far um, in this offseason uh, by division. I think he, he he put the numbers up by division and the NL Central as a whole had spent like three million dollars. <laughs> That's it, as as an entire division. So my point in saying all of that is not to rehash all of those old complaints because I think they were justified in the moment, but simply to say, I have to imagine the players saw that too. And it's like any other organization where if you feel like, hey, we're doing our jobs here and the, the powers that be aren't interested in giving us any credit or doing anything to help us out or making this what it could be. They want us to buy into a product that we know isn't going to compete with those teams. So as much as the Cardinals publicly from players to, you know, field staff to front office personnel will to a man say, I like what we have going into this season. I think they all knew, hey, we need something else here. We They all knew what the offense was last year. They all knew what teams like San Diego were doing. They all saw what other teams had to offer. And I'm sure that they were thinking, okay, if you're going to let Colton Wong walk away, like mm-hmm. you better be bringing us something back because <laughs> we don't want to go out there and look foolish every day for however many games they get to play. And for, you know, the the, the public uh, sort of answer to the fans to be, well, we just don't have enough money, we just can't spend right now, we just need to see what happens with revenue this season, like, th- that was not going to fly, <laughs> especially with people like Jack Flaherty, who are looking at the long-term influence on their career and thinking, is this an organization that actually wants to win? Because... I don't think Jack Flaherty is in it for I'm just here to have a good time. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that man wants to win many, many awards and many, many trophies. And the World Series title would be on that list. So if he's looking at the future of this team, it's important that he sees that they're willing to go out and take some chances, make some moves and make themselves better, especially in a division that is as of now as weak as any division in baseball could be right now. I was about to say, isn't, don't you think that the, the move here would have been huge no matter, yes. but it takes on even more of an impact just because how bad the yeah. other divisions have gotten. I mean, it's, it's like, you well, know, I don't know, dropping a bowling ball on a watermelon or something. I mean, it's just <laughs> huge right now. Um, 
I, I don't know. It, it's, it's amazing. And, and again, I still, we're two days into this and, and it's not even official yet, but I still don't think it's processed how amazing this, this whole thing was. No. And I think that's part of it, right? Is that we kept having this conversation and thinking, how can a front office like that of the St. Louis Cardinals look around at this division and just go, no, I think we'll just try to win as we are when it's such an obvious opportunity to make a move that sets you up not just to to barely scrape by in the division, but to dominate it, regain some maybe even national headlines that give you the confidence to go into the playoffs and not just try to get there and see what happens, but to be a legitimate World Series contender. This was the opportunity to do that and to make a giant statement just because no one else is doing anything. So it could have been the year where we saw... John Mozeliak and company do kind of their stereotypical thing, right? Where they bring in a veteran guy to hit off the bench or they bring in a, a veteran arm or they, you know, whatever it is. That's like a move that makes them better-ish, <laughs> but not really anything that's going to shock the world or make them a clear favorite or do what we've been saying since the absence of Albert Pujols to some extent. Now, there have been varying shades of this. But right. since Albert Pujols was gone, really since you know Matt Holiday was gone at, mm -hmm. at, at worst, is give some fear factor to that lineup. And yes, Paul Goldschmidt is good. Paul Goldschmidt alone can't make it happen. So this is the kind of move they've needed to make for a long time. And I think the cynical part of my brain follows that up with, hopefully it's not a year too late. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is that argument. I mean, you, I mean, one... Uh, Nolan will turn 30 um, in this, you know, first year of his Cardinal contract. So you're looking at the end of his prime and the latter part of his career. Um, now, just because we got to remember, you know, baseball tends to figure that as soon as you're 30, you're dead um, these days, or at least in the free agent market. There's still some really good years ahead right. for Nolan yeah. Arnando. But, you know, he had the shoulder issue like yesterday, last year, and we know from Scott Rowland, who is a guy that's going to be brought up quite a bit since his situation is very similar to this trade. Um, but we know that, you know, shoulder issues were kind of something that, that haunted Rowland for a while. He was still good, but never quite the same. Um, there's no indication that that's going to be the case for Arnando, but um, yeah, there is that, you know, because I mean, it's like uh, to some degree, you look at this trade and you think, what are we missing? You know, why are the Rockies this anxious? And I know so a lot of it is money, but it's like, why are they, you know, this anxious to get rid of such a quality player? And, and it does make you feel like, you know, wow, are we missing something? Yeah. I think it's almost like, I don't know if anyone's going to relate to this, but I'm just going to roll with it. It's sure. like that thing that that jacket that you wanted in high school, right? That was super trendy, whether it was a leather jacket or like a bomber jacket or jean, whatever it is, right? Just just roll with the idea. It's like it's like the jacket in high school that you wanted, but it was super expensive and you never got it, and you just always dreamed of this jacket. So then, when you're like 25 and you're making your own money, you find one at a secondhand store. And you're like, man, this is the jacket in prime condition that I always wanted. Now I'm going to buy it and rock it. And then you realize it's actually not trendy anymore. 
That's what the worry is. <laughs> That's what the concern is with this guy that the Cardinals have had their eyes on for so long that all of a sudden, now that they have him, they're going to go, okay, well, he's not exactly the same player he was four and a half, five years ago, whatever, right? So that's the concern. How justified that is and how much that comes from sort of the recent track record with the moves that they've tried to make to be successful, (laughs) I don't really know. Yeah, I think there's, there's worry about that. But I also think, I mean... You know, we've seen them talk about like Troy Tulowitzki, like after, you know, 35 or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and guys of that nature where it's like, yeah, they've chased them forever and, and they might finally get them, but there, there's nothing there. But I think we can, you know, we saw what they did with Paul Goldschmidt and, right. you know, 19 wasn't necessarily his best year, but last year it looked really, really good. Um, and a move like this makes him so much better as well. Right. So well, who it, knows really, where, what those ripple effects are. And that's right. I mean, because we're talked about, and you've talked about it. I've seen other people talk about it. You know, it, it takes a load off of everybody in that lineup. I mean, like you were saying, um, you know, what happens if Matt Carpenter, if they put the DH in, which still we don't know, and there's still a lot of talk about that this weekend. But if they did, and Matt Carpenter gets to be DH, and he doesn't have to worry about being, a, a you know, an actual threat anymore. Um, he might become one, you know, it might be just that easy. I, I, I feel like that may be a little bit wish casting, but there's, uh, I think there's something to it. Um, you know, Goldschmidt's, you know, Dylan Carlson, if he's hitting in front of those two guys, you know, getting a lot of fastballs, um, he's not going to have to worry about, you know, all the off speed stuff, perhaps that he saw, he could definitely take a step up. Um, maybe Dexter Fowler is, you know, back to an average, Ball player and maybe Paul DeYoung feels like you know if he's batting fifth or sixth is a lot better off than hitting trying to hit him third or fourth or something of that nature it makes the lineup all around so much better and you know I don't know I mean it's we talk about the offense and all this and you know the only the main reason I wanted on Aranda was to uh, watch him play defense I mean because uh, to watch those plays is something I've, I've missed since Scott Rowland left to be able to see that again. is It's going to be so great. Yeah. I'm a big fan of good defense. <laughs> uh, as you <laughs> may have suspected by my uh, team Colton, uh, I should have made t-shirts, but I didn't. Yeah. Defense to me is one of the most underrated things in the game. As far as what's exciting to watch home runs are great. Scoring runs is great. All that's great, but man, I love watching superior defense. And it'll be interesting to see him playing, you know, on a different home field with different teammates, all of those things. Man, mm-hmm. I, I tell you, I would have loved to have seen Nolan Arenado and Colton Wong on the same infield. Um, I don't think anyone else on the infield would ever have to move, which yeah. would be funny to oh, watch. And, and, and Paul Goldschmidt playing first base. Yeah. I mean, I mean wow. and, and let's not, you know, shortchange Paul DeYoung for what he has become. Mm-hmm. He may not be mm-hmm. uh, a league leading shortstop defensively, but he's become pretty steady for the most part. Now there are some, the occasional weird plays where you're like, what, how, how did that happen? <laughs> Uh, but for the most part, he's become mm-hmm. pretty steady, especially in tandem with Colton Wong. Man, I, I know I had a conversation with some some people the other day on Twitter that was suggesting that perhaps there's a limit to how many good defenders you actually 
need on the infield because you sort of start to lose the benefit of them all being extraordinarily good when they don't have to be. But I think it would have been really exciting to see uh, Nolan Arenado at third and, and Colton at second and just the steadiness of Paul Goldschmidt at first and whatever Paul DeYoung decided to add there in the middle would have been bonus. But of course, we don't know where Colton Wong is going to land. I think Tommy Edmond has been a capable defender. He makes mm-hmm. his own spectacular plays here and there. I worry a little bit about crowning him, you know, some sort of uh superstar in the making at this point because he's had his streaks as well but there's definitely a lot to love about the infield defense that's possible with this group even without Colton Wong which still kind of kills me a little bit but nonetheless the uh, addition of Nolan Arenado defensively uh, soothes the pain a little bit well and I mean Colton had signed anywhere yeah I mean until he signs, the dream's still there. I mean, <laughs> trust I, me, I'm I, holding on to it. Yeah, I do wonder. I mean, if the Cardinals don't have the DH this year, what is it? What you know? Are we going to see very limited Matt Carpenter? Is it pinch hitting fill in spots? I can't see them trying to make him an outfielder. But if they did sign Colton Wong, you know, Tommy Edmond, where is he going to? I mean, I know the idea was to play him everywhere, but I, I don't. <sighs> I feel like the starters are going to be such starters that, you know, like Paul Goldschmidt's going to take off what three days this year, and <laughs> and, and Arnando is going to do the same. Um, you know, maybe he can get a little bit of time in it short because Paul DeYoung surely needs to take time off. We know this over the last few years. Um, I, you know, maybe some idea of sitting Colton against tough left-handers. I, you know, I don't know how that would work. I'm willing to find out. Yeah. Um, It's, it's the problem we've talked about a number of years where the Cardinals have sort of from a front office perspective said, well, yeah, but we already have guys to play there. And we've often said like, no, the teams that do this the best, just add the player (laughs) and then figure out where to play everyone else later. Obviously it's a little more complicated than that. And, and, you know, we simplified it because of the frustrations of not getting the player, but there is going to be a, a bit of a challenge. And to be honest, that hasn't been Mike Schultz's strong suit is figuring out how to mix guys in and out of the lineup when they don't have uh, a, a particular starting role. So whether that's Tommy Edmond or, you know, if there was a Colton Wong situation or whatever it might be, that hasn't been his, uh, his best, um, quality as a manager is is mixing those guys in in what seems to be the most effective way but it is tough and it's going to be tough I think it's a good kind of tough (laughs) to figure out how to utilize all the good players that you have and they're all made better by the addition of a player the caliber of Nolan Arenado is he Mike Trout offensively no is he better than what the Cardinals have had offensively the last number of years yes (laughs) is he going to make an impact up and down that lineup I certainly would think so and that is what they have needed even just the threat of that happening like you said takes pressure off Dylan Carlson maybe gets him some better pitches it does the same thing for Paul DeYoung does the same thing for Dexter Fowler it does the same thing to some degree for Tommy Edmond although I think the pressure if he's sort of the de facto leadoff guy 
is still going to be there to set the table for all that power behind him. But there's certainly plenty of time for conversations about lineups and, and how to utilize all of those pieces. It's just nice to think they have those middle of the lineup pieces that are also the cores at the corners on the infield to work with and to, to have those conversations about at this point. Yeah. And I think, you know, you were talking about switching people and making the mix when you've got guys like that on the corner and you've got Dylan Carlson, who you probably are going to play every day. There's a lot less needing to mix people in. Yeah. Um, you know, those guys are going to play. Like we said, they're going to play except for those rare days that they need a, a day off or, you know, hopefully not injury, but you know, if they're there, if they're on the roster, you don't have to worry about, well, you know, we'll play them 70 or 80% of that. No, they're playing all the time. And that means your decisions become a lot narrower. You just have to figure out if you're going to play Fowler and Bader or Fowler and O'Neill or O'Neill and Bader or whatever. I mean, all the other decisions kind of are made for you. And that's yeah. not a terrible thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, we saw that with Mike Matheny, right? That they would go through, you know, kind of a back and forth. They try to give him a set lineup and he'd run them into the ground. So they get him some flexibility and then he wouldn't know what to do with it and all that. But, you know, if they could get a set, I don't, there's nothing wrong with a set lineup when that set lineup has, you know, two MVP candidates in it. Right. Um, that's uh, a lot better than a set lineup of Harrison Bader, Bader hitting eighth, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Forever and ever <laughs> and ever and ever. No, I, I think we talked about this a lot in those years where flexibility became the buzzword, that's not always a good thing. That's almost just a sign of like, well, we don't really have a great option. So we're going to have all the options. And that didn't really manifest itself in the way that I think the organization wanted it to. So yeah, eliminating some of the flexibility in favor of just sort of everyday dominance at that position is probably going to be a good thing. It's probably going to take away some of the, uh, uncertainty and some of the even insecurities that guys have about, am I going to play? Am I not going to play? Am I going to be good enough today that I get a spot tomorrow? Whatever it is, it's going to change the pace for some of those guys, right? Whether it's Dexter Fowler and Harrison Bader, or if it's, you know, Tommy Edmond and Paul DeYoung or, or whatever it looks like there, right? It's going to change the way that they come to the field every day when, that's not their spot, certainly for Matt Carpenter, although I think we saw shades of that last year at times where he realized that wasn't really his role anymore and he was going to have to play whenever he got a chance to instead of expecting to be in the lineup every day. But again, it feels like that's a good problem to have. It feels like this is the kind of confidence boost that that proves to the team the organization thinks they're worth taking a risk on and i think that has to help all around but even more than something like bringing adam wainwright back because he's a guy that everyone loves right so wainwright is back this trade is made yachty is it sounds like going to sign as soon as the caribbean series is over which will be in the next couple days i guess um and he's coming back. Um, sounds like it. Um, do the Cardinals one need to, or will they make another move before spring training comes around? I don't you know. Obviously not going to be a huge move or nothing like we've seen, but is there something else they can or should do before they get to Jupiter? Yeah, you know, I think there's still a lot of question marks as far as their starting rotation goes, just 
for the sake of consistency, right? We sort of at this point know who Jack Flaherty is, but Miles Michaelis is coming back off of a year where he didn't pitch. Lots of things up in the air there. Uh, you're looking at a Carlos Martinez possibility that is never a certainty at this point in his career. And Adam Wainwright is Adam Wainwright, but he's not, you know, Cy Young quality Adam Wainwright, at least not that we've seen. So he's going to be your fifth starter and you've got some holes to fill in there. There's plenty of guys from which to do that, right? You have Alex Reyes in that mix, although I imagine his bullpen role is going to be quite valuable if he doesn't take one of those starting spots. You have Daniel Ponce de Leon, of course, Austin Gomber going to the Rockies in this deal takes away one arm that could have been useful there. And there are several others, right? That's just the the ones that come to the top of my mind. Um, but that's the, well, we've got a bunch of guys. None of them are really claiming those spots kind of mentality that goes into the the starting rotation this year. So I'll, I'll certainly be curious how that all shakes out. I don't expect them to make a move for pitching because they have so much of it. But if there was an area that, you know, getting greedy, we we're like, well, if you, re- if you really want to step it up a notch, maybe there's a, a starter that fits into one of those roles, but I, I don't expect that to be a move. They make a few little things here and there. Perhaps maybe they end up bringing Colton Wong back because he doesn't sign anywhere else. I don't know, but I think at this point expecting any other big moves is probably a little bit too much to ask for. Yeah. I mean, you could see, I mean, Chris Archer is out there, mm-hmm. you know, a guy that definitely isn't the guy that we <laughs> we wanted two years ago, <laughs> as you were talking about getting him a little bit too late, but a guy that could still provide some veteran backup assurance, you know, and, and you know, we're getting to that point where maybe they take a minor league contract if they really want to. But even if Archer might be a guy that, you know, you give a couple million to or he comes in and can be in the bullpen or, or a starter if you need him. Um, something like that would probably be not be a bad thing, but well, if the Cardinals go to, to go into Jupiter with the team that they have now, I don't think any of us are going to really complain too much about it. No, I think I think we've done our share of complaining, and then yeah. they went out and uh, did the thing no one expected they would ever do. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, sure that. yeah, I think at this point uh, we all owe the the well, we don't owe them anything, but it probably would be fair. <laughs> If we mm-hmm. kind of just sit back and, and watch for a little bit until, you know, they start playing and maybe they don't live up to the expectations, then we can go right back to the drawing board. But, but for right now, they've done what we <laughs> wanted them to do. And we got to give our hat, have, tip the hat and not say a bad word for a little bit about it. So anyway, um, it was fun week. Um, maybe we'll get back to y'all next week and, and have a little bit more time to process this and really know what the trade looks like. Um, but until next time, I'm Daniel. That's Tara. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.